0: i uh-huh. everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Ivy Walker from the film The Village. And joining the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Very glad to have you on to talk about The Village. Uh, The Village was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, and it starred Bryce Dallas Howard as Ivy Walker, Joaquin Phoenix as Lucius Hunt, Adrian Brody as Noah Percy, William Hurt as Edward Walker, and Sigourney Weaver as Alice Hunt. And it was released in 2004. Andrew, do you remember when you first saw The Village?
1: I remember it was, oh, it was after it came out on DVD. I didn't see it in the theater. I watched it alone after after like people had seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember if I knew what the twist was.
0: Right with a Shyamalan film, I think by this point everyone was waiting to know what the twist was. In some ways, I think that can remove some of the enjoyment of watching a Shyamalan film. Uh, If you're like looking for the clues and what is the twist going to be, and in this one it wasn't like as groundbreaking as or surprising as something like the Sixth Sense. It's it's like oh, it's it's so surprising. You got to rethink everything that you knew about every character and how did does it really hold up? Like that becomes the fascination with this, you know, with the story of the sixth sense. And that was the one that really made his name. And then you follow that up with unbreakable, which has a character based twist about who the bad guy really is. Uh, and then signs, which is um, kind of, you know, aspects of the story are going to take on new meanings in, in with the yeah, final review. Not, not a huge twist
1: on that one. Yeah. Not, sort but of but it's a, still, Look, I made it all work.
0: Yes. But people are still waiting for, the twist uh like it had just become the trademark and so f- by the time we get to the village everyone's like really okay what is the twist and i think that hurt the enjoyment in the moment for the village um i, I think it holds up pretty well actually uh, as far as like a shaman film like he, his, yeah, his I, career is a like he kind of became a punching bag by a, what like 2010 <laughs> i think
1: i think i think sooner than that i think um well it was lady in the water the next one after this and i think by then the the shine was off the apple
0: yes well even just looking at his film reviews so his first one was wide awake which was i think an independent that was not very widely seen so we're just going to start with six senses like his first major breakout um i'm looking at the rotten tomato scores for these right now 86% positive that one was nominated for best picture uh was a critical and commercial hit right then comes yeah. Unbreakable, 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, so definitely a dip. Uh, but then Signs is gonna be seventy-four percent, so a little rise. Then the village is forty-three percent score on Rotten Which Tomatoes. Which I
1: think I think that is low. I would put the village ahead of signs. Yeah. Uh and not just because of the discomfort that we may have with Mel Gibson right now. <laughs> no, no. I think it's really just the like what the story is saying and what its meaning. And I think I think technique wise and it's i think it's more compelling yeah. you know i think it's just better than science i'd rather watch it than science
0: well it's going to keep going down though so after the village at 43% we're going to get lady in the water with 25% the happening and then happening 18% the last airbender oh. 5% and then
1: that's it. That is a consistent trajectory.
0: Uh, well, I, I, there's gonna be a little bump up with After Earth, the Will Smith sci-fi film. You may forget, uh, may have forgotten that it ever existed. Eleven percent. I, I forgot that he made it. <laughs> a little rise there with After Earth, uh, and, and at that point he kind of lost the big budget green light from CDOs. And his next film is a much smaller horror film called The Visit that did get sixty-seven percent positive. And then, if you remember, Split uh the, the revisiting the unbreakable oh, universe right. r- rose back up to 77% but then he went back there with glass and that one fell down to 37%. That's his last though. So he did it, well he had an untitled project that was going to be released in 2021. We will see what happens there. <laughs> Not his fault if it doesn't come out in 2021 at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really like like he said there's a consistent like strong start, and then dip, 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 dip down, and then a little bubble there at the end of then another little dip with glass.
1: Yeah, and so I don't know if people would say that he has any real consistency as far as his films, um, but, I mean, there are things that are consistent. Like, like like he makes his own films. Like, he is making a Shyamalan film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I think, a point is in, in his favor, right? Like, he makes films that really are are his style and not a lot of other people's you know like very few people could try to imitate him very successfully
0: is the only one that's an adaptation the last airbender i think all the others are original stories um i th- i think it's the only one yeah that's his least
1: successful though he does have some close competition there with the happening and after earth right around <laughs> <The> <laughs> and last it's airbender. such a weird choice to select him as the adapting director for that because there's nothing in particular about that show that Seems like it would really suit his style. So you just, know, it's yeah. it's much more actiony. It has a lot of special effects necessity. Mm-hmm. Neither of those things are Shyamalan features. No, and in, in fact, sometimes like, I think like that, he has to he has to show the action, which Shyamalan frequently puts the action just out of view mm-hmm. as part of the tension building, very effectively. I, I would say that's not a that's yes, not a, I, a bug. That's a feature for a Shyamalan film. Yeah, the the stuff that he does, I think he does. <laughs> pretty well
0: yeah um like i i really really enjoy unbreakable i've not seen it like gone and rewatched it a long time i watched it several times uh when it came out and on dvd i need to go revisit it um i think the village is probably my next favorite and then six Sense and signs right after that and i need to go see I've, i saw lady in the water when it first well, i saw it in theaters and i saw it on dvd but i don't think i've seen it since that first viewing on dvd so i probably need to go revisit that just to see if it's as rough as the 25 percent um but i i think the village is underrated at 43% on Rotten Tomatoes and absolutely i i in in looking up some trivia about it which we'll get to in a moment um like there's even a section in the wikipedia that is like the reassessment of the village where like in now a decade on people are like hey that movie's not as bad as its reputation guys it it had a rough moment some of it was i think there's the classic pattern that people like to see of uh, you know, the rise and then the fall, like that's a pattern that celeb culture creates. Um, sometimes through, um, through the the magazines and the tabloids and everything, like they they revel in it. You know, making a star and then seeing them fall from grace. Uh, and I think some of Shy- Shyamalan's career followed that trajectory in a way that um allowed it to be highlighted and like dog on um where he came yeah. out so hot with The Sixth Sense and was such an immediate star and his follow-ups you know were were strong films like, like those next ones uh you know Unbreakable Signs and even The Village I think are all good good films uh but right. then it, it when it starts to falter I think there was a piling on that
1: hurt the reputation of some of some of some of his works and I think um kind of along that same line the films I, I i especially remember in you know early discussion about um signs and the village and at the village especially it seemed like the discussion was well is is Shyamalan doing it and i think that clouded the actual content of the film mm-hmm. so watching it this time you know and i was really just not not thinking very much about Shyamalan and his career and everything. I was really just trying to think about the movie. I was like, you know, this is pretty good. I feel like people were not paying attention to like what he was saying and and the like debate that he was trying to have with these characters and everything. I feel like people were just watching it to see what he was doing and not what the movie was doing. And
0: I think there was
1: Like, so I saw this in college, Um, you know,
0: when I was in some film classes with, uh, so I was surrounded by people talking about pop culture all the time. Um, You know, I've certainly left that behind by doing this podcast, right? Um, But I think there was a sense of, I'm going to guess the twist and I'm going to prove I'm smarter than Shyamalan.
1: You know, like, yeah, it was was... all about the, like the, the meta context of this it's really to its detriment
0: yes i i think that's right and i think one reason why there's been a reassessment is we can go back and kind of set all that aside and just go look at the film for what it is and see is do we like this film and i think there's a lot to recommend it's not perfect i think there's some nits to pick that we'll we'll get to after we do uh the summary but there's a lot of really strong elements and some amazing performances bryce dallas howard and joaquin phoenix mm-hmm. and and william hurt and Sigourney weaver are all bringing it and they're talented yeah. talented people that well, gives and- amazing performances. And one thing I adore is that Shaman lets their performance be like, like there's so many that are just long takes of a monologue or, or dialogue slash monologue, you know, for, for some of these, mm-hmm. and, but he doesn't do editing tricks. He doesn't go for, you well, know, I mean, he does do editing not, tricks. Well, Okay. Yeah. But, but I mean, in those, like, like some of the best moments of the film are very long takes of a conversation that is just actors, performing and it's riveting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, if you were to calculate it, I bet that this movie has less than half as many cuts as the standard film today.
0: I would say it has like one A fraction one-tenth of the cuts of a Bourne film one one-tenth <laughs> if that <laughs> like when you I, I, it's probably even less because the Bourne films get so cut happy for their action uh, their commands of action and there is action in this film but it's done very differently and I think it's there's a brilliant deliberateness to this like I use the sequence of Ivy in the woods um in talking about me and and editing and uh like the direction she's moving across the screen and camera movement yeah the positioning on the screen the the classic tic-tac-toe top left is your position of power bottom right is your position of uh inferiority um just because we read the screen left to right top to bottom and i use that sequence to walk through with my students what's happening and they, they see it like once we talk about it i show them this they're like oh okay that makes perfect sense and that's why I feel the suspense and tension I feel. And Mm -hmm. Shyamalan, in all, again, the metatextual commentary about his twist endings and everything, I think the skill that he can have as uh, just a visual director in working with some really talented cinematographers too. I don't want to discount the role of cinematographers. Oh yeah. But he he can tell a story very well just
1: through the visual elements. And um, yeah, I I bet if you counted all the lines and time spent speaking in this movie, it would be significantly less than the average. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a talky talky film. <laughs> and I, I, I do want to like throw out one thing in the meta text. Cause I think for the most part, we're going to be discussing the film outside the, the meta context. Yeah. Once well, um, we get to the summary. And so the last thing that I want to throw in there is I think he actually did a, a kind of cool creative thing to deal with the people who were trying to guess the twist. He kind of has two twists mm-hmm. and one of them is a weaker twist than the other. Yes, and, and that's deliberate there. And I think, yeah, I think he knows like, okay, people are going to be looking for a twist. I'm going to put two twists in, and one of them's going to be like, yeah, I definitely saw that coming. And the other one's going to be a lot tougher to see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can kind of feel smarter than him and then immediately frustrated and be like, wait, what? Oh, man.
0: All right, a little bit of trivia about this film. Um, a script leaked 1 year before the film was released and they did some reshoots of the finale and so a lot of people were like, "Oh, he's he's redoing the ending cuz now the script is out there." And this uh, this was like the age of like in cool news and those kinds of websites that would be very rumor mongery and would not hesitate to put spoil like I I think the spoilers would have been hard to avoid. I I know I didn't see them, but I think I knew that they were out there. Uh the spoilers uh for this. However, um I was just looking it up and so I typed in uh like changes between the leech script and the finale of the village and the, the leech script showed up immediately it's like the first google link and so i went and scrolled down to the bottom all it is is he changes a little bit about how uh the twist is done but the twist is the exact same like like how the reveal like the interaction that's going to happen at the end that reveals things that's a little different i can talk about it after the summary um but the, the twist is the exact same so it was not that i think it was just they wanted to present it a little dif- differently um This is a film that I remember hearing this, and I completely knew what moment it was going to be. This was rated R originally, and the only change that had to be done to get it down to PG-13 was removing sound. Can you guess, Andrew, what sound was removed to make this a PG-13 film instead of an R-rated film?
1: I assume... Okay, I have two candidates. Okay. Um, It is either the sound of Broken Bones... Or the sound of a stabbing?
0: It is the sound of a stabbing. You are correct. Okay. And I will got to say, it is still as disturbing. It's so effective. Without the sound. It may be more disturbing without the sound. I don't I, know. I think, I'd have to see true. both side by side. But it is such a disturbing sequence where there is a stabbing that takes place. And the camera is like panning away from the stabbing. and But you know the stabbing is still happening. And the sound was there. Originally, I got rated R. They removed that sound and it got down to PG-13. But it is still just so
1: compelling in, in like all the negative ways (laughs) to, to see it happen. Yeah. Yeah, There's a way that he films um, moments like that. And it's, it, it is grotesquely captivating. Oh, I like that. But not, but not in a gratuitous way. Like it's, it's, it's almost sublimely grotesque. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to like find the words to mix how it's riveting and revolting.
0: Yeah. Um, we already ra- mentioned its Rotten Tomatoes score. It also made $114 million in the U.S., which was all right, but not like a, a, a runaway hit or anything. made $256 million worldwide. Again, I think definitely earned its money back, but wasn't uh, the kind of moneymaker that they saw with uh, The Sixth Sense, which studios were always hoping he was going to be able to deliver. Uh, this was nominated for one Oscar. Can you guess what its Oscar nomination was, Andrew?
1: Uh...
0: I would hope cinematography. It was not. It was for best score, which I think it deserves. Which is, it's a very good score. I love the score of this. I, I remember I bought the soundtrack, the like the day after I saw the film, I'm like, I need, I need that score. <laughs> the, the violin in particular just stands out
1: so, so well.
0: It's and amazing. it's,
1: it's, it's not overly creepy. So you could probably listen to it without getting totally weirded out. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely.
0: Uh, definitely the violin part uh, portions. Like he, it just is, uh, for me, just beautiful music, uh, independent of like the context of the village. All right. Well, before we move on to the spoiler synopsis, uh, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and for listening. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level will receive access to our special quick casts, which are short episodes in which we talk about newly released media that we've been consuming and just shoot the breeze about pop culture for a little bit. Eventually, we would like to add in updates about our fantasy box office game. We'll see when that happens. It'll be a surprise twist whenever we get to it. Okay, so now for the full summary of The Village. If you haven't seen this, I recommend just, just going and tracking it down and watching it before we do this. But if it's not something you plan on ever getting to, here it is. So, in a 19th century Pennsylvania village, the young son of one of the village elders has died from disease, we can assume. After this tragic event, Lucius, who is kind of the young adult son... I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry. I have to, like, make just, like, a weird disclaimer about it. I love how you said, you know, the young son of one of the village elders has died from disease, we can assume. You with a Shyamalan film, there is a lot that you have to presume based on what he gives you. Like he does make you piece it together quite a bit. And so you've really got to pull that out of thin air almost and say, it's like, okay, I, I know a son's died. Coffin looks a little bit small disease.
0: Yes. Much later context makes it clear. This one was, this is a death from disease, but it's not till later in the film, that that gets confirmed.
1: Yeah. Um, but like there's, there's a lot in this film where you've got to like, all right, I gotta, I've gotta work the strings together for myself. I like he's given me all of the ingredients and the recipe, but I still have to bake this bread. Yes.
0: Um, and after this event, we're gonna have Lucius, and he's played by Joaquin Phoenix. And again, like our main two characters in this are Bryce Dallas Howard and uh, playing Ivy, and Joaquin Phoenix playing Lucius. I'm not sure how old they were. My sense is we're supposed to think like late teenagers or like 2021, 20, right? That's what we're supposed like to be early twenties. Yeah. Uh, from these, just so the, you know, any listeners who haven't seen it can kind of know what age group we're talking about. So, yeah, he, uh, Lucius goes to ask for permission to go to the towns to do so. He will have to pass through the woods, but it is forbidden to go through the woods. Um, the woods are home to mysterious creatures that would attack anyone who enters them. However, there is an understanding between the villagers and the creatures, so long as they do not cross the border. There are other superstitions that we see, like the color red is clearly a bad color that is going to attract the creatures. Wearing yellow uh, is going to repel them, so anyone who goes near the border for any reason wears yellow as they do it. Um, and a lot of this is just conveyed through visual storytelling, not through anything like any like laying down of the rules. We just have to, like you said, infer some of this meaning. A woman named Kitty announces her intent to marry Lucius. She hasn't talked to Lucius about that. He is a quiet, reserved man. She goes to him in his shop and expresses this desire to him, and we cut from his panicked, confused face to Kitty wailing in tears on her bed, being comforted by her sister, Ivy. Ivy is blind since a childhood illness took her sight.
1: I love that cut. It is one of my favorite cuts in film. <laughs> it's,
0: <laughs> her... it's a
1: fantastic one, and, and one of the most effective ones where it's like, okay, I can piece this together. Yeah, I know exactly what just happened. <laughs> like He does that same sort of cutting through a lot of scenes, and so you have to do that same same work. This is one of the easiest and most satisfying ones. <laughs> yes, and I remember laugh out loud
0: reaction from audiences in the theater uh, with with that cut. And also, Joaquin Phoenix's like face is so great of like mm-hmm. panicked discomfort. Um, So Ivy, the sister, she's the younger sister, younger than Kitty, but she clearly has a maternal streak. She's taking care of uh, Kitty in her emotional distress. She's also one of the only villagers who seems to be able to have a good relationship with Noah, who is a man near her age who has a developmental disability. Uh, While she is playing a game with him, they come upon Lucius sitting alone. Lucius doesn't say anything, but she greets him and she says that she knows he is there because she can still see a faint glow of color around some people, but she will not tell Lucius what his color is. Noah pulls out a plant to give to Ivy, but Lucius tells her not to touch it because it is the bad color. Uh, Lucius says this red berry doesn't grow in the village and asks Noah where he got it. Noah points to the woods. Again, Lucius goes to the elders asking for permission to go to the towns for medicine and supplies because he thinks the creatures must have sensed Noah's innocence and let him pass unharmed And because Lucius will be going with a pure intent, he will therefore be uh, allowed to pass. But Lucius is again denied by the village elders. Lucius's mother, Alice, tells Lucius that he has to stop making these requests of the uh, elders. Lucius complains about all the secrets that are in this village, like the black boxes the elders keep locked in their houses. Or how Alice looks at Ivy's father, Edward, even though Edward is married. There's some attraction there that Lucius, um, well, has been tipped off to by Ivy a little bit. (laughs) The next day, uh, Lucius sees Ivy, who reveals that her sister is now engaged to another man in the village. Ivy not so subtly notes that since her eldest sister is now engaged, she can be courted. That night, an alarm is sounded that the creatures have crossed the barrier around the village. Everyone runs to cellars, which are going to be their safe places, but Ivy steps to her door and holds her hand out, saying he will come. She trusts that Lucius will come to her we see a red robed creature with spines and claws moving from like, I say moving closer. Like this is from way out there. This creature is moving in slowly. And all we're seeing is Ivy's hand held in the foreground of the shot. As from the deep background, this creature is coming closer and closer and, as the and creature... stepping
1: into the light a little bit. Oh yeah.
0: And as the creature is like getting dangerously close, suddenly Lucius's hand enters the, the screen and he grabs Ivy's hand and they go down into the cellar together. The creatures leave red marks on the doors of the village. Mm-hmm. We jump ahead to Kitty's wedding day. While everyone is dancing, we hear a few screams. It turns out skinned animals have been left around the village, and it is interpreted as a warning from the creatures in the woods. That night, um, Lucius and Ivy talk. Well, she does most of the talking. In the end, they kiss. Soon rumors of their planned wedding run through the village. Noah, uh, who again is uh, has a special friendship with Ivy, he goes to visit Lucius, and he stabs him a lot and this is the very uncomfortable scene to watch um it's back to the theater reaction i remember so much gasping and like oh <laughs> sounds as uh the scene was playing out um lucius is badly wounded after he is found noah is locked up in a room uh he lucius desperately needs medicine he's he's gone uh, into a coma at this point ivy wants to go to the towns for that medicine Her father tells her the towns are a very wicked place where his own father was murdered. Then he takes her to a shed that is always locked and asks her to try not to scream. He lets Ivy into the shed and has her touch what is inside. It is the claws of one of the creatures because an entire creature costume is inside the shed. Edward tells her that the elders wear the suits periodically to scare the people of the village into not going into the woods. There were rumors about these kinds of creatures and that is what inspired the elders to don these costumes. Armed with the knowledge that the creatures aren't real, I he goes into the woods with instructions about how to find a road that will lead to the town edward goes to tell alice that he has sent ivy to get medicine he says this is all i can give you they get like so physical touch is a hugely symbolic thing in this film about both um like emotional and romantic intimacy any kind of uh touching of hands is is massively symbolic uh and in this moment like we know edward is romantically interested in alice but he is going to be faithful to his wife and Alice knows this too. And he leans in and they get so close as close as they can without touching. And he says, this is all that I can give you, I can save your son's life. I will violate, um, the rules, uh, of the elders to allow my daughter to go to the, the, the city to save your son. Uh, he then tells the other elders what he has done. And though they're angry, he points out that they made this village to get a, away from exactly what has happened to Lucius. Lucius and Ivy are the only hope for this way of life to continue in the woods. Ivy falls into a pit, but she catches herself right before she like would be completely unable to escape this, this pit.
1: Yeah, uh, it is a
0: big pit. Yes. Uh, after she gets out, she hears the snort of a creature and she remembers her father saying that there were, there were rumors of creatures in this area. She runs from the creature and a very well-designed, well-filmed, well-edited chase uh, happens now. Uh, eventually, she returns to the pit and she stands at its edge until the creature is almost on her. Then she steps to the side. The creature falls into the pit and is badly injured. Ivy runs off to go find that road that will lead her to the towns. We see that the creature was Noah who had escaped from the room he had been locked in and he had found one of the costumes of the creatures and gone into the woods after Ivy and he, thinking this was one of their games. He dies from his injuries. Ivy is following the road, and she runs into a wall. She climbs over it, and uh, then we see the village elders now opening those black boxes that Lucius had referenced earlier, and they're pulling out newspaper clippings, oddly modern newspaper clippings, about personal tragedies that they had endured. Well, by modern, I mean about 20 years ago from when this film is taking place, modern, Uh, but not 1800s modern uh ivy gets to the other side of the wall and is on a completely modern road a truck stops and a security guard gets out and says nobody's allowed to go over that fence she holds out the list of medicine she needs and begs for help the security guard is very confused but eventually he goes to the work a uh, workstation to get medicine there a senior guard played by m9 Shemlan uh can tell what is going on and just says some things he says we have a cushy gig where some billionaire's estate pays us to just sit here and patrol the border of a nature preserve periodically it would be a shame if anything ever disrupted that gig the junior guard agrees and leaves with the medicine ivy returns with the medicine to the village and takes lucius's hand the end
1: it it does not have the same effect as watching it.
0: <laughs> oh, it is beautifully filmed. I like I really do like the cinematography of this. And again, the performances from the that those uh core actors um are very, very strong. And it is a visually rich film. I think there are a few things that don't work perfectly, and maybe we should just run past those to get to some of the mm-hmm. other stuff. And I think in in kind of digesting this, some of it I'm willing to excuse. Um, the early editing does feel very choppy to me. Uh, he finds a rhythm, I think, entering into the uh, Ivy Lucius relationship. That's where I think uh, mm-hmm. it, it all kind of smooths out. But in the early establishing of this world, it, it felt a little abrupt as scenes move from one to the next. Did you have that same experience?
1: Yes, I definitely did. And, and I watched this with um, Kestra. This was the first time that she had watched it um, ever. Sure. And she didn't know to expect twists or anything. And she, she had you know a few questions about like okay, is time passing quickly in these cuts? what exactly is going on? Oh, there at the beginning These transitions is it is it linear or nonlinear mm-hmm. which i think it is I think it is essentially linear um until you get to there's like one flashback towards the end um and and that's less than a day back right um. And so I think it is it is largely linear, but there's enough cutting that it does get a little confusing and feels a little disjointed until you do get that um, that relationship element. And that's where you really start to pick up. It's like, okay, I see how this is going. I can track their relationship. And until then, you don't have anything to track on. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's hard to keep tabs on when things are happening, what exactly is happening. And so I think it could have benefited from some sort of indicator for how much time is passing. Is time passing? Are we, are we losing weeks, months, years, you know, in these cuts?
0: Yes. Um, And also with this, uh, so, so now we know, you know we can just watch it and we can talk about this with the whole twist that you know this is a modern setting like the, this film was released in 2004 we're supposed to assume this takes place in 2004 uh with people who created the village about 25 30 years before right you know the, our our um next generation of villagers outside of the village elders are all in their young 20s let's say 25
1: years uh before so around 1980 i they went and yeah um, so I places. think you have to you have to have that sort of implication because Lucius's mother um is holding a baby in some of the photographs that we get, yeah, and so he would have had to have been like two years old tops I would say is a is a fair you know cut, so let's say around nineteen eighty uh, they set up this world uh, and I would say um yeah I don't like I don't know the exact thing because the the tombstone for the child I think says. 1890 and so i would assume that they just bounced it back 100 years so would the, be their date instead
0: of 2004 this is set in 1990 and maybe
1: around and, 1970. and it was the 70s yeah I, when I, they when they decided
0: i'm okay with that um but I, I don't think there's anything super different in in what our takeaways are either way yeah that we we're gonna read this um but one thing especially early on some of the dialogue felt very stilted to me yeah, uh, To the point where it's like, how in the world did um, uh, Ed, uh, William Hurt memorize some of Edward Walker's lines? <laughs> so, like, one of his first lines, I, I actually wrote it down. Uh, he walks up a bunch of, uh, to a bunch of uh, children who are looking at something on the ground. It turns out to be a skin. Oh, yeah, Walker. I know the
1: line you're talking about. He says, about.
0: what manner of spectacle has attracted your attention so splendidly I ought to carry it in my pocket to, to help me teach? Or uh, I'm like, what? What did he just say?
1: Like, that, it is hard to process that line. Like, it's so stilted that it's hard to listen to it.
0: But then what it made me think of is, like, Stan Lee in Marvel Comics writing the faux stilted Shakespearean uh, dialect for Thor. So it's a modern mm-hmm. person trying to put on the airs of a different era and doing it awkwardly. And if you think of these people as people from the 1980s trying to adopt faux frontier speech of of it, the 80s it, that that helped me to not see this so much as a nitpick but that line of dialogue has always stood out to me from when i first saw it in the theater to every time i've watched it on, on the dvd i'm like what is that
1: mm-hmm. um cadence of speech that's happening there um Were were there any other things that that you wanted to butt up against?
0: This is something I remember asking. I saw this film with Ben Wanamaker, I'm pretty sure, uh, (laughs) when it came out. uh, High school friend, knew him in college as well. We were at the same college. uh, And when we left, we both said, who skinned all those animals on the wedding night and spread them around? Because it is dozens of large animals that are skinned and laying around, it seems, right?
1: Yeah, that one's pretty extreme.
0: And if we're supposed to assume it was... Noah I think we're supposed to assume like it's just
1: too much I, I think based on the end of the film I think the implication is that Noah has had this violent tendency mm-hmm. and has been skinning animals but yeah that's a lot of animals to skin that night yes
0: I, and, the, and the, like as far as like the try, trying to think back through the logic of this world which I'm not trying to say like this world has to be perfect for our real world but just the, the logic of what's contained within the
1: film that's the one that catches the most for me yeah, um, and 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 some some of the things that I have like really it's just like some questions where I would like a little more clarification, but that's not Shyamalan style, so I'm not super worried about it, uh-huh. and so I don't think I have any um, other significant um, nits to pick. But like, so so I, I will go ahead and like break down this big question about Noah. So the implication does seem to be okay. He was the one skinning animals. Yeah. Right? And it also seems to be, like, how long has he known about the creature suits?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Because, so they say he found one under the floorboards, but I don't know if he just discovered it or if he has known that there was one there.
0: Yeah, like, when he's skinning those animals, is he just playing creature Like does he think? Yeah, like does he
1: does he feel a connection to the creatures? Like, oh, I play creature. I act like a creature. I go into the forest like the creatures. I I I am creature. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so you have that kind of. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. Like, how crazy is he? You know, or dissociated from himself is he?
0: Yeah, I agree, Um, and and it's just not explored much in the film.
1: Yeah. Um. One of the, and the only other thing is, is not really a a nitpick with the film, but I am interested um, that for this, you said, you know, we're planning to discuss Ivy in particular. And so I started thinking, I'm like, I don't know if I would have thought of Ivy as the main character or protagonist of this, because I don't think she shows up until about 20 minutes in. Right. But it's. She's, the, she's the, from that point on, it is her
0: story, right? Like, she's the one that goes on the quest at the end. Uh, she's the hero that's going to save the damsel in distress that happens to be uh, <laughs> Lucius in this case. Joaquin Phoenix as the damsel in distress. Classic
1: role for, for Joaquin Phoenix,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, um, typecast and- into into that. <laughs> um. Yeah, and so I was thinking about that and, and, like, trying to consider, I was like, yeah, like, I wouldn't have thought of her as the protagonist even though you know absolutely critical to the ending of the film which i was also surprised how long the end seemed to be i like the the act structure of this seems a little bit atypical not not incorrect or anything
0: mm-hmm.
1: but if you were going to think about it like they get to her going into the forest earlier than I expected or that whole sequence was just longer than I expected you know it seemed right. like a, a long time that she was in the forest um, going through you know some small adventures there
0: well I think what happens is that is the story that we're a little bit used to of the hero's journey this is where mm-hmm. someone's crossing a threshold into an unknown world uh, yeah. and, and it doesn't happen until like it's like three acts get compressed into the final act of the film itself like, like her personal story has those acts at the end um mm-hmm. that that are going to run through a lot of the traditional beats of an adventure um are 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 going to happen like the last half hour of the film about I would say maybe 45 minutes uh, yeah. as she goes into the woods um and and so it does like you said it feels a little atypical in terms of the structure and I think that's one of the reasons um and, and so so much of the film is actually spent establishing what for these characters and particularly for Lucius and Ivy is their known world. Um, and then we as an audience are going to exit that known world into what is actually our world, <laughs> but it's for Lucius and, and particularly for Ivy, it's, you know, her unknown world, but it's now, Oh, that's that's our world is their unknown world. Kind of interesting inversion there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we, we said it, Interesting stuff going on in the film Um, Um, and I think interesting character stuff, because if I were to think about the characters who have to transform, I, I don't think it's Ivy. I think Ivy is established as having this streak of courage and maturity early on, and she is kind of fulfilling that through the story. Um, Whereas like Lucius was the one who wanted to have the adventure. Not that he wanted adventure, but he wanted to go out there and be brave and and do the thing that she ended up doing.
0: He was always brave. Right, like, like they. Yeah. So in the film, they talk about there's this game that the village boys play, and
1: we actually see J- Jesse Eisenberg in, a, in an early role of playing this game. Is, was that him? I remember realizing that he was the one who spoke at the end of the film. He he like announces that Ivy's back.
0: I think he was but the one. not
1: on him earlier than that.
0: I think he was on the stump, and then the one that comes in and says I, Ivy's back. Okay. Uh, but he. Is, so the village boys will go stand near the border of the woods on a stump with their back to toward the woods and not wearing the protective yellow cloaks that is supposed to help repel the monsters and they just stand with their backs as long as they can. And we're told by Ivy that Lucius has the record and no one's ever going to break the record for being willing to just stand on the stump. So he's always been brave. Um I think for him the transformation is um the emotionally opening up into a romantic relationship with Ivy. Like that is something he's been unwilling to do. Um and there's such good writing about the monologues that Ivy uh, has uh, you know and Bryce Dallas, Dallas Howard does a great job delivering these about like I know you like me because you're unwilling to touch me like there there came a day where you stopped helping me guide me after I lost my sight you used to always hold my hand and walk with me and there came a day where you stopped and since then I've known that you like me because sometimes there's something we want to do but we're scared of others knowing we want to do it and so we don't do it and then Lucius like butchers. <laughs> this line when he's talking to his mom and tries to say it and he's literally like sometimes there's things we want to do that we can't do because we want to i I can't remember how he exactly butches it but you know exactly what's going on that he's trying to be Mm -hmm. as uh insightful and poetic as ivy was naturally and now he's trying to perform it and he just can't because it's not in his nature um Mm -hmm. they're very different characters in in that way um so that, that like that bravery is there for lucius it just uh it needs to be focused on um Overcoming his fear about the romantic feelings he has towards, towards Ivy.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And, and the other main character that I would think of as having to go through, you know, a a dilemma even um, feels like Ivy's father.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Um, And, and that's the one that like I latched onto like thinking it's like, okay, I feel like there's a lot of meat on these bones and I'm not sure what the meat on the bones of Lucius and Ivy is.
0: Right. Um, I I think the story, like as far as plot, is going to be driven by Ivy particularly. I mean, Lucius. Yeah,
1: she's the one you follow and you pay attention to. The camera focuses on her. She uh, she has the most lines in the film. She arrives.
0: Most lines in the film by far. Um, When she's there, she's the one that has the most uh, connections to the other characters, to Mm -hmm. her father, to Noah, to Lucius. Yeah, that's a really important
1: kind of element of her nature. Everyone else seems so disconnected. Now that I think about it.
0: Right. Um, and then when we talk about her father, I think we get some of the interesting thematic elements that are at place. So, uh, as we learn this twist about like every one of the village elders is running away from past trauma of violence that was enacted upon their lives. Because yeah, of crime. Yeah. The, the sins of, of modern life essentially is how they take it. Like this is the corruption of the city. I mean, I, there's a lot of like, pseudo transcendentalist idealism that's present here of like creating a commune away from the vices of modernity uh, Mm -hmm. more in tune with nature I I think you get a lot of that kind of transcendentalist idealism that is driving the idea and conception behind this experiment or what we're going to discover as an experiment at first we think it's just their lives but now we find out it is this kind of social experiment that's taking place Uh, but there's also I think um, the idea of of like the golden age fallacy, right? Like if we could just go right. back to an earlier time, everything would be better. And they do all what we discover to be all these incredibly complex steps are taken to try and remove the possibility of violence entering into their lives. And that's why they're willing to let nature take the young child through. Yes. So this is through disease that yeah, is this allowed. Is the stuff
1: that- I think is stuff that people don't pay attention to because they're so focused on the Shyamalan of it all. Yeah. Um, and so they aren't paying attention to, okay, like why are they doing this? It's to escape violent crimes. They, they all had a loved one killed mm-hmm. um, because of, because of crime and they all have, you know, slightly different experiences with it that, that they're dealing with. But you know, for some of them it's, you know, I really don't like money because money's the reason my father died. You know, like, He was killed about money. That's a problem. And so there's no money in the village. Right. Right. And you have um, elements like that. And then you do have that that, you know, moment of crisis where um, I I can't remember his first name. But, uh, you know, Mr. Walker um, is coming to the conclusion that he's going to go against the wishes of the other elders and say the reason that I'm sending Ivy to try and save Lucius is because this was a violent crime that occurred. This is the exact thing that we were trying to avoid. And yes, we would allow nature to take its course. You know, we have allowed my daughter to go blind. We have allowed um, someone's son to die of disease when we know we could have dealt with those things. But I can't do it when it was a violent crime. Yes. But, because that's that was the thing that we hated.
0: Yes. And I think there's the logic that he's laying out there is sound but this is also very much an emotional decision that he has reached both driven by the twofold love that we find out about like his his very pure love of his daughter like that, that is and her happiness which again like you you've got a like there's the contradiction of like he allowed her to go blind to carry out this experiment but now he's unwilling to let the, the romantic connection that she's forged, which does seem to be, like, a very true love between her and Lucius. This is not, like, an immature fling of a Romeo and Juliet or anything like that. You know, this is, uh, like, a, a true emotional bond. Is, is Enough work has been done to establish that. that You do feel like this is, you know, like the, uh, you know, kind of the romantic ideal of a soulmate has been achieved with Ivy and Lucius. And he's unwilling to let that be taken from her. So even though he would let her sight go, he can't let that. But then also we do know this is an act of love for Alice to break their rules um and allow her Alice's son to be saved um and uh i do think that's a it, it's a really well performed subplot uh in this like like so much of the story <laughs> is about like Ivy going out but the Edward an Alice subplot, which I don't even know what Edward's wife's name is like that. I don't know. Like it took me a while. to like, which, which one of these Eld village elders is his wife. It took a little while for that to track for me. I kind of wish that had been maybe established a little sooner. Um, but I, I do think the idea of like, I, I have these romantic feelings for you. Um, I will never be able to act on them because i will be loyal to my wife and i think there's like the subtext there of like if i wasn't loyal to my wife i wouldn't be worthy of your love alice (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like i wouldn't be the man that you seem to be somewhat attracted to if i was disloyal to my wife so if we were ever to be together it would actually ruin any chance of us being together
1: (laughs) right um well and yeah so when he is you know laying out why he is breaking the rules and everything. I think that's one of the most it's, it's also like the, the biggest shouting it's, you know, a a very intense verbal scene and maybe the most intense verbal scene. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems like he is slipping into the intensity of his modern self, as opposed to like the pastoral, um, languidness of, of what they're trying to to have, you know he's he's switching back into nineteen eighties. Like this is what it's about. This is why we did this. And it, you know it, it, it's like he loses all the pretense. Yeah. Of the village, mm-hmm. um, and and lays it out. But I thought that was a really impactful scene. Um, this time, and I I don't know if I'd ever watched it again since the first time I watched it. This may be the second time I've ever watched it, but I I was really feeling this scene and say, Oh, I get it. You know, if it's because it's crime and we could do something to, to prevent someone from suffering what we all suffered, which is the loss of a loved one through crime. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's why, you know, like what's the whole point if we can't protect the whole point was to protect somebody from that, to protect ourselves and to protect our children from, grief through crime
0: yeah i think that's all really strong and i think it is We when you get solely invested in trying to figure out what the twist is and thinking the film is about the twist ending and discovering that these people are actually living in the modern day uh you, you may miss a lot of that and i think the other thing that maybe gets lost when you view the lens, this through that lens which I think Shyamalan brought some of that on himself uh, and I, but then also like the the larger cultural conversation around Shyamalan definitely did that. Um, this, I think why I view Ivy as the protagonist is I think this film is a gothic romance <laughs> and she is the Jane Eyre uh, kind of figure within this and yes, it happens to have these other elements that are going to add layers of meaning but I think at its core this is Shyamalan making a gothic romance
1: okay well, that changes how I think about it a little bit
0: and as I say that I think I'd be interested in seeing Shyamalan adapt to Bronte
1: that could be really affecting because you've got the right level of like mystery and twist in some of those yeah um, I. so I've got a question for you what is Lucius's color it's like, it's gotta be either the bad color or the good color.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so which one is it?
0: <laughs> I'm going to throw out one other alternative and then I'm going to tell you what I think my answer is.
1: Okay. A- uh, I, 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 I'm i open to the alternative.
0: An early draft of this script was titled gray. Okay. I think though his color is yellow. <laughs>
1: So he is the safety.
0: Yes. And that's, wh- particularly I'm thinking one of my favorite sequences of this film, and it's not the one I actually teach in my class, is her hand being held out in the darkness with the red coming it's, at it, her. That and is
1: such an effective scene. Like, that is what I picture when I picture the village. Yes. And when it's, she it's is the saying- The monster coming up close and him running and and her, she holds her hand out there for like a solid minute.
0: And I don't know how Bryce Dallas, like, she gets the tremble in at the exact right moment. Like, the hand is steady, and then... And, and it, it shakes a little. And there's, like, just a hint of doubt. as she is still saying, he's going to come for me. And she's, like, proving that she believes he's going to come by holding her hand out still, while everyone around her is saying, don't let them in, come inside now. But she's saying, he's going to come for me. Uh, and he does. And it is I, one of my favorite sequences of the film. And, and, and there's a lot and of stand up sequences.
1: I'm going to say, also, a very elegant use of slow motion. Yes. In in a very emotional climax moment instead of an action climax. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does use slow motion in, in the action climax as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's something going on there. I don't think he uses it any other times in this movie. I think those are the two times.
0: It's this moment. And then when the creature is running up behind...
1: Ivy. And she, and she jumps out of the way.
0: And and this is also the moment where Ivy says she always wished she could play the game of standing on the stump for as long as you can. Like she's playing that game uh, at the edge of the pit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think I noticed the first time I saw it, but it definitely stood out oh, to me. Oh, that's why she puts
1: her arms out. Yeah. It is her... She's playing the game. <laughs> oh, You know, there's... It's even better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's real good stuff here,
0: guys. I, that definitely stood out to me, this viewing. I Because I, I don't know what it was it's been, been a while since I watched the entire film uh, but when she gave that monologue it said I always wanted to play that game on the stump I was like oh she does play the game on the stump like it clicked for me immediately as she was yeah. saying it that that, that was going to be coming
1: that tracks now for me mm-hmm. you're, you're totally right and I appreciate it even more now Yeah, <laughs> um, because and, but, of that.
0: but that moment where she's standing out holding her hand and you know she's looking out waiting to see a glow
1: mm-hmm. I think she's looking for yellow not red because it, it's safety and protection mm-hmm. yeah and even if I that doesn't that...
0: mean anything like to her personally as a blind person like for all the symbolism that shaman does in with color in his film and he is very careful about color usage in yeah. his film um, especially this yeah and there's a reason like he doesn't change bryce dallas howard's red hair like when she lowers her hood in the woods it's like no don't do that <laughs> You have flaming red hair. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, and like, I'm thinking about well, now I'm stuck thinking about like the comparison of like, these are the moments with slow motion, right? Is when Lucius comes to save her and when she saves herself. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And when she holds her hand out and when she holds her hands out. Yes. You know, like, like, there's something going on here where she was brave in the village and she is brave out of the village and she's brave when she believes lucius is there and she is brave to try to keep him there
0: and i think what works particularly well uh, for this as a uh, romantic pairing is i I think this works as a feminist text like like she is a really strong protagonist to this film uh and and like you do get some explicit dialogue where Luz is like, why do you always lead? <laughs> like, like she is leading uh, in a way that sometimes makes him a little uncomfortable, but he still loves her. Um, but I think sometimes with feminist texts, you get the idea of like, well, you're going to save yourself in this instance. It is, I'm going to save you. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's not that I, I need to be independent and separate from men. It's that I am strong enough to save a man who has,
1: uh, you know, been attacked. And mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm, I, I'm appreciating this this film more and more as we talk about it and the way that um, like these two characters are being connected. Um, and and I, I think the more I think about it, the, the more correct you are to say that she is the protagonist. She is the one who is really focused on. She is she is the agent making things happen in the relationship. She is the agent um, making things happen in the rescue of, of Lucius uh, and, and, you know, the heroic actions and everything. And, um, and I'm just thinking about like the focus on her scenes. And it makes me wonder why she doesn't show up until we've had several scenes and, and a focus on Lucius, you know, like that's, that's now my big question. It's like, well, why didn't we see her in the first two scenes so that we could know yeah, that she's, that she's the lead. It, now it just feels weird that she shows up so late because, I'm thinking about, you know, all these great scenes with her when she is looking for Lucius after she finds out that somebody has been stabbed um, because Noah doesn't say who he stabbed. Everyone in the village is, is looking and it is a, and this is again, one of those great, like man, they just let the performance happen and they keep the camera working. And, and there's no, they have, it's a long track of, of her looking through the village. Like she is going through the village with her With her stick guiding her way, and then you have her like they cut out a lot of sound, and she is whispering to herself, counting steps because she knows where she should find Lucius
0: she knows the number of steps to his his shop,
1: yeah, right? she knows the steps, she knows the angle that she should be going, and it's a long walk across that field and and I think one and you know what's going to happen, you know that he's been stabbed, and she, you know that she's finding him
0: yes um I think one thing that shaman does very well is suspense one thing he does less well is horror mm-hmm. like when you actually see the creatures they look a little hokey that's
1: the same issue except when it runs yeah. it is very scary when it runs oh yeah
0: there's a jump scare there when it starts running uh and i remember the entire theater <laughs> doing a little jump scare yeah, as a group every other time they've been slow <laughs> yes um like the creatures themselves i am not wild about the design S- same thing in signs when you finally see the alien i'm like nah, i don't know that, that there's, alien there's is one shot scary. where you
1: see the alien and it does freak you out it's, but when you see it is it the birthday
0: party shot you're talking about? Yeah,
1: the, the birthday party <laughs> one is whew, that is spooky.
0: Right, but when when you when there's a long look at it, which is I think horror does a good job at creating that kind of visceral terror at what you're seeing. Um Shyamalan doesn't really deliver on that in these films. And I haven't seen like The Happening, which was a Zara rated one. Maybe he was leaning more into horror with that. Uh, But he does such a good job of creating suspense and like the the, the edge of your seat feeling of what is Mm -hmm. about to happen, especially in this instance, like, you know, and yet he's able to create a sense of dread and and suspense for the audience as she's walking and counting like you said and, and the the audio work uh and the the willingness to let one long camera take tell this moment of the story is really strong
1: um i, I think we should mention and, and her breathing oh, yeah is one of the things that like it, it creates that same breathing anxiety in me and when
0: i think about the standout sequences of the film this may be another reason why i center ivy uh so so she's the center of the web of relationships that we get she is the driver of the plot uh in, in the final act uh certainly but also when i think about like the the moments of the film that are just what i'm going to take away and are going to linger with me it is her holding her hand out until lucius comes mm-hmm. it is her monologue with lucius back and forth uh you know well monologue with a little bit of the dialogue that happens at the end but it's really uh, a, a
1: monologue I, I feel like I can anticipate one of the other ones that you're going to pick. Can I is it all right if I predict? Yeah, go ahead. It's going to be her standing in the berry field.
0: Yes. Well, that whole sequence of in the woods from basically from that berry field on as she's on the run from the monster, that is so excellent this is such excellent usage of the way we read the screen of reading left to right positions of power all those things like it is um every, everything that you're feeling you're being manipulated in in the best way by an artist using their craft to make you feel certain things in that And sequence. and I
1: and I've got to say I think the berry field in particular like something about that is really effective in a very interesting way because it's after he has established no she shouldn't be in danger and yet somehow seeing her surrounded by the red colors has just centered her back in danger. Like somehow that visual is saying, no, there is danger. I am <laughs> telling you there's danger before you, see the, yeah. before you see the creature again. I'm pretty sure it's before you see him again.
0: I think it is before you see the creature. But have we heard – because she hears it echo like her father's line of there were rumors of creatures in these woods.
1: I can't remember if that's before or yeah. after. But like – I mean
0: so as an audience you're starting to wait like say mm, is there really an actual monster out here and, and because not, it's a but, film <laughs> it could be like in real life you wouldn't think that Yeah, because it's a film it's and, like in this world is there really a creature there definitely possible with Shyamalan he had ghosts in his very first big breakout film yeah. <laughs> you know
1: yeah there, there's supernatural stuff yeah, that's available and, and,
0: and, of his, and superheroes those have been his three uh, so far so why not real monsters
1: <laughs> But but somehow that visual is is just like communicating I know we said that she was safe. That was a red herring. Look at her around the berries, and I'm giving the music cue, and I'm like visually communicating to you: this isn't safe. Even though you know she's supposed to be safe, I'm going to give you all the signals to say, "Is she safe? Yeah, I thought she was safe. Wait a second. Why? Why? Why berries? Berries bad?
0: Um, and thinking about his earlier films, so like. The twist in Sixth Sense is finding out that there are ghosts, right? Uh <laughs> uh and and exactly who is ghosts. Like those those are the twists in Sixth Sense. Uh and then in Signs or or in uh, Unbreakable, it's uh okay, there we're gonna establish a world in which there are superheroes, but oh, the twist is gonna be who's the supervillain. In Signs. That there's aliens. uh The twist is that maybe there is religion. <laughs> like, like someone's going to find faith in the face of an alien invasion. uh Like religious faith is going to be become uh, recentered, uh, right? For for our characters, and, and, but in this one, it's
1: the the twist is no, there are no monsters, <laughs> right? Except except now that I'm thinking about it, right? She faces the monster, who is the person who committed crime which is the reason that they created the village and they were mimicking monsters to try and make people afraid to leave
0: because they could they encounter
1: were, crime because they could encounter crime. And so the monster that she defeats
0: is the monster that they were running from
1: is the monster that they were running from. It is the criminal action, mm-hmm. right? It is the person who perpetrated violent crime. And if we, if we go with the, the suspicion that Noah is the one who was skinning the animals Um, that means that Noah, who was the one who committed a crime and therefore is the monster, right? Like, you know, we're, we're going with the, you know, we were the monsters the whole time, but he's the one inside the village who is capable of being the monster was doing the acts that was scaring everyone to stay in the village. The acts that were attributed to the Uh monsters,
0: right? Uh, No, I, I track what you're saying there.
1: And so, like, how much of everything that was going on is, like, is actually tying it all in. It's like, yep, crime is the monster. And actually, crime was here the whole time, keeping you scared of crime. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think
0: in some ways the theme maybe does break down a little, or at least there's some discomfort in, uh, you know, your source of criminality is... Uh, the, someone who is developmentally disabled uh, like that yes
1: that's really um, that's really inelegant
0: yes um, I, I think he by making your protagonist um, blind I, I think he's doing something very interesting with, with the idea of disability but then that's like the I don't know that it outweighs the, some of the as you said the inelegance of, of this other idea um, Yeah,
1: um, and then and you do also that's a really fair criticism
0: Uh, You do also then like just taking this world that has been created. Is it, is the sacrifice worth whatever is being gained? Like the, the fact that a daughter went blind and a a seven year old died. Is is that worth the idea of trying to create a world without crime? You know, like, like I think that's something we needed to as an audience, we're being invited to think about it. I don't know that the film is making a statement one way or the other. Like if anything, it's kind of saying yes, because in the end, uh, they say, or who's willing to carry on this experiment? And the elders all stand up, and then Ivy comes in, and we've been told Ivy and Lucius are the hope for this experiment to continue. And she takes Lucius's hand, you know, establishing the bond. And I love that the one last shots is her taking his hand. Like it is again that mm-hmm. that touch is so is so key in this. Um,
1: and I, I I do think that um, they try to establish in the film that the level of crime is maybe exceeding the level of crime of the real world um so like when they go to the the guard station and he's reading the newspaper every single article is war and crime and attack and assault oh, yeah. and uh, uh, kidnapping and it's like, uh, yeah it's like okay this is this is maybe a hyper criminalized world
0: Yeah. so so the real world you're saying the real world outside of the village is is like the idea of new york city in the 1970s that w- if you watch film from the 70s and 80s about what new york city is like that's the whole yeah, world It's gotta be
1: the real extreme <laughs> version of it and and they they you know, hold the it truth. Like, hey, after twenty five years, look at this newspaper. It has not been getting better.
0: Yes, I yeah. That newspaper is not subtle <laughs> about what uh, what message it's supposed to say. So the, yeah, I, I I think you're right that maybe we need to look at the the world that we're being given in this film, and not the idea of like our real world. Would it be worth running away? Though in twenty twenty, some people may be willing to run away <laughs> too. <laughs> if we can just isolate, then the virus can't get us. <laughs> yes, um, but. Uh, even if the film or the elders uh, village elders in the film are saying that I think as an audience, we're supposed to be having a little level of discomfort with that and take Uh away with the idea of, of running away from trauma or, uh, and again, that golden age fallacy of like looking to the past as a solution for trauma instead of trying to heal and move forward. Like they are re-traumatizing the next generation in their effort to run away from the trauma they experienced.
1: Yeah, and so I think I think we're definitely supposed to be critical of those decisions and the attitudes that they had and, and the things that they did allow to happen, even though they drew the line at crime in the village. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like you maybe could have drawn the line at letting seven-year-olds die. Yeah.
0: And I think that's not a failing of this piece of art that the characters maybe are making a different decision than we as an audience are being edged. No. I, I think the good... Good art can make you uncomfortable with the choices that you see displayed and make you have those conversations within yourself or with other people who are watching it. Um, about yeah, this is,
1: this is not aspirational. Like-
0: yes, <laughs> yeah. It's raising questions for us as an audience, uh, and I think we should probably reject some of the conclusions that have been reached by the characters we've been following.
1: Yeah, but I I also think it's it's fair to you know represent the concepts like okay well you should make sure you think carefully about what you allow and permit in order to try and protect yourself from other things. And are you going to be?
0: I mean, when the elders are putting on the costume of the monsters, like I think there's something there about what do you become in order to try and protect, <laughs> you know, the the next generation. Like like uh, are you becoming a form of a monster? in trying to to protect them from monsters. Yes, exactly. Mhm. And I think I again for for each audience member they may have different lines of where they where they side with, you know, noble protector and uh monster that's uh you know do, doing too much. Like like are you um are you fencing in or are you
1: shielding? <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. maybe. Well, and I think it can be a, a like a very real parenting question. And I I think, you know, there's a reason that the elders are all mm-hmm directly parents of the next generation um in the village and you can be dealing with that that parenting concept of okay well how much punishment or fear is is part of parenting when you are protecting kids and giving them rules you know don't touch the stove but do you shout at them to tell them that and that scares them and makes them cry more than burning their hand would
0: yeah. Well, I, I again, like are you are you protecting them from real dangers of the outside world or are you fencing them into a
1: reality or or, or a reality you wish was real but is not real? <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, and and do, do you confront your actions compared to the actions you're supposedly protecting?
0: And again, this is not at all I think a significant thing for this film and the the themes and issues that it's raising, but there's no way this village can go on for another generation.
1: <laughs> oh, this, this is not going to last. Yeah, they're,
0: they're, I, and I'm not just talking about the, the logistics of other people trying to venture out into the woods and, and pressing those boundaries. I'm just talking like the logistics of human uh, societal growth. <laughs> Can't hold up. Yeah, when, you,
1: when You have like eight
0: founding members. is, is that?
1: I, <laughs> I don't remember how many they said, like maybe 10, but it's like, this seems like actually, a lot of people. Yeah, that was Just a village, big like, village feast. Like, they like, all had a lot everyone of kids, I guess. from this this one group? Like, yeah. Or did, yeah, they, did everyone, they bring anyone like, else? <laughs> this seems improbable that, the, you know, there's only five families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's
0: dozens in the first feast and at the wedding.
1: Yeah, like, there's a lot of different aged kids. Like, like a variety of ages. Mm-hmm. Like, you would feel like this is maybe three generations worth of people.
0: Yeah, I'm so maybe it does break down a little bit on the scrutiny of, of that point. But on the whole, I think there's so much more to praise about this film
1: than to nitpick uh, about it. Yeah, and for, 43 is very low for this. I think it solidly should be somewhere in the 70s. I would feel comfortable with.
0: And, and I'm, I appreciate that I saw that there's kind of been a uh, reassessment of this film, that that a lot of critics are kind of going back, or at least like there's think pieces on a lot of entertainment websites saying, you know what, the, the village actually... There's, there's more there than what its initial reception was. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Toptee, who composed our theme music. Uh, You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jodorowsky. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminit, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Andrew, yeah. I'm going to give you a recording with zero editing needed. That's my goal tonight.
1: For both of them? or I mean, I already have to edit this out now, so. I guess the next one.